and welcome to the Open Government Podcast. I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Welcome back. As always, each episode of the Open Government Podcast will bring you an interview with someone working on open government and citizen engagement in their community. And today we have Paul Ferry from the University of Calgary. He's a political science instructor there, but he's also the founder of something called cityblocks.ca. And cityblocks is spelled C-I-T-Y-B-L-O-C-S not cks.ca. And uh, hello, Paul, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Richard. So th- my very first question is obviously you're a political science guy. I mean, you teach it. Um, but what really sort of got you into this, this this world of technology to create something like City Blocks? Well, it was sort of a, a t- an interesting two-part challenge. So one of the courses that I teach at the University of Calgary is, is local government. And it's often uh, quite difficult to engage students uh, with the topic, just because as much as I think it's important, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to get uh, 40 undergraduates too excited about the politics of garbage collection and property tax. So I was looking for a way of, of sort of spicing it up a little bit. So what City Blocks does is it takes uh, voting records from city council minutes and visualizes them uh, according to who votes with who, basically. And I, and I thought it was sort of a, a fun way to... Uh, to engage students. And also, uh, it's part of my uh, data science company's uh, um, sort of remit or mission. So uh, I founded a company called Centrality Data Science, and together, myself and, and two other uh, gentlemen, Michael Underwood and, and Adam D'Souza, uh, we, we made CityBlocks as sort of a, a personal challenge as well to take unstructured data and try and open it up to the public. You know, that's an amazing story. I didn't actually, I did not know that or I did not remember that from the tour that mm-hmm. you actually created City Blocks as a tool to help you teach. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with civic engagement. It was to make your job easier. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, certainly a little bit. I mean, people have found it useful in other cities as well, which I, I found really, uh, uh, really very pleasing. But uh, but certainly it was it was largely a way to try and get students a little bit interested in some of the mechanics of local government. So, Paul, one of the things that City Blocks does is that it takes uh, complex information, unstructured information, and visualizes it, turns into something that can be parsed in a visual way. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the importance of visualization as a tool for engagement? Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly one of the things that, uh, through my political science training, I've learned is that people often care about what's in data, but they don't care so much to look at the, the data themselves. So one of the great things that visualization can do is take something that's unstructured and complex and nuanced and reduce it to its two or three important elements. And if you can do it right, you can tell the same story with uh, some dots and some lines as you can with uh, hundreds of pages of, of city council minutes or m- hundreds of hours of uh, city council video. Now, one of the things um, that was particularly impressive as well about cityblogs.ca is that most people will create tools like this to help in their own community. Now, mm-hmm. City Blocks has a number of different communities that are not Calgary because you're, from, you're, you're teaching at the University of Calgary. Yeah. So you would think it would only just be for Calgary. You expanded it across a number of jurisdictions across Canada. So mm-hmm. my question for you is, you've had a bit of a flavor at the municipal level anyways in terms mm-hmm. of data structure and how cities are releasing information and data. Do you have any sort of like stories to tell about like we had some a really hard time with this city or we had it was so easy in this city and why that is? <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, so 
I mean, from the, from the easier end, there are cities like Toronto or Edmonton. So Toronto is quite lovely. So in the minutes themselves, they put in a lot of metadata to signal, here is a vote, uh, here are the councillors that vote. Yes, here are the councillors that voted no. So it makes the job of the, the data scraper really quite easy. All you have to do is look for this metadata, um, these signals in the, in the text, and, and you know when a vote has come up. But, but hold on a sec. But these were not data sets that were offered. You actually had to dig for it by scraping for all cities? Um, not, not exactly. I mean, certainly uh, uh, Toronto as well, as, on top of this uh, scraping process, as well as Edmonton, have actually provided uh, clean data sets. So all we had to do was download them, uh, parse them a little bit, and then uh, we could upload the, the results quite quickly. So that kind of process takes maybe an hour, two hours if I, if I need a break. Um, but then there's stories like, let's say, Calgary, uh, which, which is a, a lovely city, but the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the data... Was, was quite a challenge. First of all, we had to get permission from the city to use the city council minutes, even though there's not really much of a, an economic case to say that this is a, a business product for them. Uh, we still had to seek permission. And then on top of that, they were in an, a number of different uh, formats with no metadata. There were typos everywhere, which is really a concern for, for trying to scrape something. And also the very first minutes we had to look at was actually in a, a different format altogether. So we had to get access to a Windows computer and find an out-of-date browser in order to actually access the data. So that made it uh, the difference between, say, half an hour or an hour for Edmonton or 40 hours to try and uh, scrape Calgary correctly. If you had to talk to every single one of these cities uh, about kind of the process that you went through and some of the challenges you had, what is one thing you would ask for them so that you could keep doing this or uh, do other kinds of work like this? I mean, at the very least, if the unstructured data had a, had a regular pattern, that would be um, the minimum, I would ask, just in terms of when you enter in city council uh, voting records, make sure the names are spelled correctly, make sure you format the, the votes in the same way each time, because as much as, uh, for, as a casual reader, it wouldn't really matter if things were bolded differently or line breaks were performed differently. Uh, if we're looking at it as a data set, it, it's really very important. I mean... My dream world would be that everyone would be like Edmonton or Toronto and release a nice clean data set because then I could do a dozen cities a week if I really wanted to, uh, whereas somewhere like Calgary with its uh, uh, looser approach to regular data, let's say, um, it, still, it takes two or three weeks to, to really find the time. Now, there's one thing that you said earlier I'd like to go back to, which kind of irked me, mm -hmm. that... You had to ask permission from the city of Calgary mm -hmm. for what is essentially public record, mm -hmm. right? This is something you'd find on their website. You said yourself oh, you yeah. had to scrape it. So first of all, I'm wondering the dynamics here. Like, did, did you go to them first saying we're working on this project and we'd like to have a nice clean data set and they said – don't even think about doing the project <laughs> or did someone sort of snitch on you or like, I'm wondering how they would even say you can't use this, this information. Well, we were a little bit paranoid in the process of doing this. So we would check the permissions for uh, the minutes in, in every city. And most of them said, you can use this. It's, it's not a problem. But Calgary said, you actually can't use any technology to access the website in a systematic way. So what we would have had to do is download each of the minutes uh, one by one, Otherwise, it would have been technically in violation of their terms of service. I mean, once we asked, they were very uh, accommodating and lovely, but we still had to come to... Uh, oh, so I see. So basically, they didn't want any bots on their website. It's not that it's, you yeah. didn't have access to the, the site. It's just it's how you were using their site. Yeah, so if you want to 
access the data in a systematic way. We can't sit there and download one by one. It would take it would take a week. Uh, but the uh, um, the way the way that we had to do it was was access it automatically. So that way that meant we had to ask permission to to access the data. I, I I'm going to be honest. I took a bunch of political science classes when I uh, when I was in university. And one of the things that never came up was this idea of uh, open government or even kind of this kind of citizen engagement or using data to tell stories around government and communicating that to the public. How has that changed over your teaching career? And why do you think it's really important that you start teaching these kinds of things? Um, I mean, certainly my my own teaching career has only been for a few years, so it hasn't really changed uh, all that much. But but certainly uh, issues around open government and open data are coming up more and more. I mean, certainly as political science moves more towards uh, statistical analysis, we're all uh, increasingly more aware of the fact that data is locked away and uh, everything from from books and archives to websites that you're not allowed to access. So we're becoming, as practitioners, more and more sensitive to issues around open data and open government. And also, uh, as students uh, become more aware and, and are sort of the, what do they call them, digital natives, uh, they themselves are interested in the issues as well. So, so certainly as, as good teachers, we have to respond to the, the political interests of students. Well, this is fantastic, fantastic work. Like I said, I was just mesmerized by the fact yeah. that you just created City Blocks just to help you as a teaching tool. Like you just <laughs> mentioned you. a moment ago, like that's what good teachers do. And, and just from this alone, uh, I thank you. And I hope uh, this idea spreads amongst your colleagues. So thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. We're doing some great work. And please don't stop. I, I won't. And yes, please, everyone out there, do check out cityblocks.ca. It's a really fascinating tool to see how your city operates. So thanks again. And that was Paul from the University of Calgary on the Open Government Podcast. Thank you again for joining us today. And we'll be back soon with our next interview with someone from the Open Government community. If you've got any questions about today's episode or you'd like to say, you know, want more information about cityblocks.ca, once again, that's cityblocks without the K. Uh, or if you want to just congratulate Paul for his great work, he can be reached on his Twitter handle at PauliSci. It's spelled P-A-U-L-I-S-C-I. So he's a very clever gentleman as well. Or on our podcast hashtag, which is OGTPod. My Twitter handle is Richard Pietro. My Twitter handle is at Vasta, V-A-S-T-A. And thanks, as always, to Keith McDonald for the intro and outro music for the podcast. Catch you all on the flip side. Thanks for listening.